again for being here tonight. And I am excited about what the Lord is doing. Praise God. I have some things I want to teach and go through tonight, and I'll give you advanced warning. I feel like I might be throwing quite a bit at you, but it shouldn't be anything new that you maybe haven't already heard before. Um, I asked Brother Timothy to label this uh, message tonight, God's Eternal Nature. And I'm going to be fully honest and transparent with you. I wanted to, and I thought I was going to teach a lesson about baptism in Jesus' name. I thought. And I'm going to, but not in the way that you're probably used to hearing it. Everybody say the name of Jesus. We, we often look and point to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, which says, Repent ye therefore, be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of your sins. I believe it says in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I believe that. And... I'm going to be as transparent as I can be. Uh, 37 years old I am now. And for 37 years I've heard that verse and prayed about it, thought about it, sought the Lord about it, lived it, taught it, believed it, and I still do. And I have probably compartmentalized that verse into its own doctrine, really unknowingly or un, uh, unintentionally. You know, there's other verses in the Bible, and there's other verses in the Bible that talk about baptism than that verse. And uh, we just happen to say Acts 2.38, I think, a lot of times, because if, if I don't have a lot of time with a person but I'm trying to share the gospel with them. The things I want them to hear are their need to be baptized in the name of Jesus and their need slash the promise that they will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And also, yeah, by the way, their need to repent, right? Uh, if, there's no, if there's nothing else that anybody ever hears from me, I at least want them to hear those things. You need to repent, that means you can't keep doing the wrong things and expect the right things to happen. I better get an amen or you're going to be here a little longer. You got to repent. That means you can't keep doing the wrong things and expect the right things to happen. So you got to repent and you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I believe that with all of my heart. But what I see happen very frequently in, the, in our world, the religious world of the Pentecostal, is a debate or the, uh, the need, the feeling of the need to debate the fact that, well, either you're going to be baptized that way or you're going to be baptized some other way. Or maybe you won't be baptized at all, but if you're going to try to obey the Bible, you're going to see the need to be baptized. And we think, well, there's multiple ways that you can be baptized. Well, in the Bible, there's only one way they baptized, and it was by saying the name of Jesus when they baptized but this, this idea of the debate is that you can either be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or you can be baptized in what I've called the titles. The titles, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And most people that have been baptized on the, on, that are living on the earth right now today 
the majority of them have been baptized in the name of the titles. With that, with those words being said at the time they were baptized. Now, because that, that is the majority, that does not make it right, and that does not make it uh, acceptable, that does not make it biblical. It just means that most people that have been baptized have been baptized that way. I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to be uh, dwelling tonight on the idea of uh, that debate. Here's what I felt to tell you. A debate about baptism in Jesus' name versus the titles, I believe, is really a debate about the oneness nature of God versus the triune nature of God or the Trinity. And I'm not interested in that kind of debate tonight either. But I do want to talk about the nature of God to set the groundwork for these things. Because, as I already said, the majority of people that have been baptized have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And the majority of people that would profess to being Christian would also profess a belief in the Trinity. That God is three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and that's what they would tell you. Um, Again, I'm not trying to debate and I'm not even trying to present one side of an argument for a debate. I am just stating some facts right now. And the fact is most people don't have the full revelation of who God is. So for me to tell somebody you need to be baptized in Jesus' name... Yes, it's biblical, but if I tell them that and that alone and they do that, they have obeyed the Scripture to the extent of their ability and knowledge, but they do not have the full knowledge. You see the difference? I tell my children we need to go to church. And they obey and they get in the car when I say it's time to get into the church, to get into the car to go to church. But they do not have yet the full knowledge of a life built upon a relationship with Jesus. They have it to the extent that a 15-year-old or a 13-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 9-year-old or a 7-year-old knows about that but not to the extent of a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old. They're coming along in their knowledge. So I don't negate what knowledge they do or do not have right now, but I do also say there's more for you to learn. There's more for you to experience. There's more for you to obey. Kind of like this idea of marriage. There's there's a biblical way to marry. You know that? None of my children are married yet. And none of them have even expressed the desire to get married yet to any one particular person. Thank the Lord. But I believe that day is coming. But just because they are not yet married, that does not mean there is a right and a wrong way to marry. There is. And just because somebody has not received the full revelation of who God is, that does not mean there's a right and a wrong way to get baptized. There is. So I'm not going to take someone that says... uh, Well, I know I want to get baptized. I'm not going to say, well, sorry, you can't get baptized until you can write me an essay. Three points, opening, a conclusion, and convince me that you truly know who God is. No, I'm going to 
see their confession and their desire to be baptized and their desire to be obedient to the word. And we will act upon that. And then we will continue to teach and lead and guide into all truth. That is the plan of God. Amen? So let me say that one more time. A debate about baptism in Jesus' name versus the titles is really a debate about the oneness, one true God and his nature versus an understanding that says God is three persons. I'm not going to get baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost if I believe that there is one God and Jesus is his name. I'm not going to get baptized in the name of Jesus if I believe that God is three persons, three separate and distinct persons. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to follow my revelation, my belief. Now, my hope is that that revelation and that that belief comes from the word of God and nowhere else. Not from instructions from men or women or from parents or grandparents, not from school lessons or years of seminary and theology. Uh, no, it needs to come from God and his word. So I want to talk about the nature of God to set the groundwork for this idea. First of all, I say first of all, and I have two things in mind. I don't know which one's first. They're the same. God is eternal, and God is spirit. Your King James Bible says God is a spirit, but a is added in there by the uh, translators to try to make the thought more complete, but the thought is complete to say God is spirit because to say God is anything else is, is wrong and is not accurate and is incorrect. So God is spirit, a spirit, the spirit, but he is spirit and he is eternal. I want to talk about him being eternal for just a second. I was in a Bible study recently and we were talking about Genesis chapter 3 that says this, the serpent was the most subtle of all the beasts. And then the serpent started talking to Eve. You understand God, when he created animals, he didn't make a talking snake. Just like he didn't make a talking dog or a talking any other kind of animal. He made snakes. He didn't give them a voice box and a, a brain to comprehend the human language. He made a snake. And he made that snake with subtle qualities. So when the snake opened its mouth to start talking, it was not the snake talking, but it was the spirit talking through the snake to a woman. The question or the idea that we, that we talked about around this subject is, if you study, you see in Genesis chapter 1 that God made all the beasts of the field and all the fowls of the air, and he made them all in that span of time. Nowhere in that chapter does it say he created a devil or he created an angel or he created any other kind of spirit. You've heard me say this before, and it's probably not going to be the last time I say it, but the Bible uh, in two separate passages talks about the beginning. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Those are not both day one as we think of them as day one. 
One of those is day one. It's Genesis. In the beginning, that's our beginning. And when I say our, I mean the human and world experience. That's started in, John, in Genesis 1.1. John 1.1, in the beginning, think about it this way. You got here tonight. Somewhere, some, Brother Hart was probably the first one here tonight. Were you the first one here tonight? You were the first one here tonight. Okay. In the beginning, Brother Vance got to church. In the beginning of what? In the beginning of this Tuesday night Bible study. He was here. That strand of lights was already here. Right? He didn't get here and put all of this before the next person got here and he says, look what I did. No. In the beginning of this time, tonight, he got here. That strand of lights was. You see it? In the beginning, there was already carpet in this room. In the beginning of tonight. In the beginning was the Word. It does not say in the beginning God created the Word. In the beginning, just like God, who is eternal, was the same in the beginning was the Word. It just was. So that's the two beginnings that I see in the Scripture. Being eternal, one of the things that he did was create time and space, which is the nature that we know. He created our world. He created physics. He created the laws of science that you studied about in about probably sixth grade. He created those things. The law of gravity. You think Newton created it. No, Newton did not create it. He discovered it. <laughs> he didn't create it. Just like I discovered somewhere along the way, bacon tastes really good. I didn't create it, but I discovered it. Just like that's how Mr. Newton discovered those scientific laws. God created them. But since he is eternal, he existed before he created those things. If you look at John chapter 1, verse 1, I want you to see this. I already quoted some of it. But again, since he is eternal, part of his somewhere in eternalness he decided to create our world. In the beginning was the Word. Here, I'm going to give you this same example. Let's say that my phone represents on a timeline our world, our time, humanity. Okay? Over here on this side is day one, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Over here on this side, at the very end, is the last day. Okay? There will be no more humans over on this side. That's our, that represents our time. But all the way over here was God. He was before here. And all the way over here is God. He exists outside of our time. In the beginning, somewhere over here, He was. And the Word was. And the Word was with Him. And the Word was Him. The same was in the beginning. Verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. 
not the same was created at the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things. Everybody say all things. All things were made. Everybody say were made. Thank you. All things were made by him. Who's him? All things were made by him in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God and all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. I want you to, I'm going slow, but I know I want you to see this. All things speaks of individually and collectively all things. Okay? So, every apple tree was made by him. There is not an apple tree that was not made by him. So all apple trees were made by him. Every single one, you go to one and look at it, and you say, where did this come from? It was made by him. That's the individual and the collective. All things were made. And this word made does not mean fabricated or manufactured. Really doesn't even mean created in the sense that we think of create. This iPhone was made in a factory somewhere with parts that were made in other factories in other places by materials that in some fashion were fabricated. There's metal in this iPhone. You know where metal came from? Where's all my Minecrafters? Where did metal come from? The earth. So the little vibrating motor inside here that was just buzzing because somebody called me because they don't know that I'm speaking. The metal in that iPhone is listed in the Bible. All things were made by him because it was spoken into existence. It came to be. God didn't have some factory somewhere over on the other side of the earth where he's in his spare time sitting there and whittling. But he created all the things. Out of nothing. All things came into existence. Now, that, phrase, that word made is in this verse three times. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Let me use this same phrase that means the same thing. To come into existence or began to be. All things began to be by him. And without him. There was nothing that came to be that has ever been or that has ever come to be. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. While you're turning there, let me also say the word... The Word. Everybody say the Word. In the beginning was the Word. That 
Greek word is logos or logos. And then you know this, John chapter 1, verse 14, the logos, the word became flesh. Dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what, what, that's one of the things he did. I'm making this distinction because I don't want to be guilty in my own mind of relegating Jesus to only being salvation. He's there in the beginning creating all things. The redemptive power that we know and that we've recognized and we've heard and experienced through Jesus is the same as the creative power that was there in the beginning that made all things. It's not like God, hear me, I'm talking about Jesus' name baptism. I just don't know if you're hearing it. It's not like God somewhere was making all the earth and all the people and all the other stuff. And then he decided, oh, let me make a son. Let me make Jesus while I'm at it. No. The same was in the beginning with God. And everything was made by him in the beginning. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, it says, Through faith we understand. Okay, I'm not going to blow through that phrase quickly. I want you to see what it says and recognize what it says. Through faith we understand. What does it mean to understand? I don't speak a lot of Spanish, but I can say no comprende. I can also say yo comprende. I understand through faith. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that... Things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Anything you see, I see this, I see this, I see this. Anything that you see was not made by something else that you see. It was made by things that you don't see. I understand that through faith. The visible has its origins in the invisible. The temporal has its origins in the eternal. That chair that you're sitting on won't be here forever and it has not always been here. It's temporal, but it was made through origins of the eternal. Don't go worshiping the chair just because I said that. Worship the one who made all the stuff. I'm talking about God's eternal nature. The visible has its origins in the invisible. I'm going to jump back to this idea of the timeline for a second. Because we understand, we learn, we know, we comprehend most things through time. If I say who was Alexander the Great, the first thing you're going to think is, well, he's not alive anymore. He was. And then I'm going to go back into time when he was to talk about who he was. I understand that because of time. If I say, who is my son Colin going to grow up to be? Well, we don't know that, but we have to look ahead in time and say, well, he might be a this or a that and this. He, might, he wants to be a fireman. We'll see. 
But I, but I learn or I, I go to these things through time. What I want to show you is not something we go to through time in the Scripture. I'm talking eternal. I'm talking spirit and spirit in nature, okay? Isaiah chapter 4. Sorry, chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 4. Hear this phrase. This is a key phrase I don't want you to miss. Outside of our time, spiritual things still happened. Spiritual things. They're eternal. They're not, a, they're not temporal. We can only relate to them as they manifest in the temporal or in the physical or as we get spiritual understanding. But outside of our time, spiritual, important spiritual things still happened. This, this verse, this phrase I want you to see. Isaiah, the prophet, he's writing the words of God to the children of Israel. And he's going to mention some things now for for the sake of time i'm trying to not read this whole thing but just give you the context he's saying children of israel one day time again one day you're going to prophesy some things you're going to say some things here's some of what you're going to say that thou shalt Take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased? The golden city ceased. Jump down to verse 12. This is still part of what you're going to say when you're prophesying. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? I'm going to remind you, the Lord is prophesying to, through Isaiah to the children of Israel that one day you're going to say these things. You're going to speak to this creature and you're going to remind him about what happened to him. Not like in the year 34 AD. Not in the year 3000 BC. Somewhere outside of time, this happened to him. You're going to remind him of it. I know you weren't there. I know you, you, you can't really even comprehend exactly what happened and when and how, but it happened and you're going to you're going to remind him of it. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Next verse, verse 13. For thou hast said in thine heart, hear me please, I'm going to remind you what you said at one time. That's truth. If you believe that, say amen. You said this one time in your heart. I'm not making this up, and this is not a parable. This is not a, 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 a dream. You literally, literally said this in your heart one time. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Do you remember that? you remember when you said that? I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Boy, I can't believe you said that. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I'm just reminding you, you said that one time. It wasn't in my time. It wasn't in my day. But that don't matter because I know what happened. 
Verse 15, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. That's what's actually going to happen. I know, I know. You, you, it's like you just dip your toe into this thing called our, our time. But I don't, I don't care because I have all full authority to remind you of what happened in your time, in your world, in your realm. You did this. You're guilty. Lucifer, Lucifer, Lucifer. I can't believe you would do that. Your time's coming, buddy. That is what Isaiah the prophet said that the children of Israel were going to say to him. All right? I'm reminding you, I'm talking about the eternal nature of God. And how we are just this one tiny little blip on the eternal radar. Revelation chapter 12. I know right now it feels like I'm about as far away from Jesus name baptism as I could possibly be. But I'm telling you why. Because when I when I see somebody get baptized in Jesus name, I want them to know what it means. I want them to know who he is. I'm not trying to convince them about somewhere around, you know, this year, this certain year, somebody got a bad idea and you've been listening to it all along. I'm not, I don't care about that. I'm trying to tell you who Jesus is and what you need to do to follow him. Revelation 12, 7. Now, don't get confused just because we're reading the book of Revelation like we're going to read about something that has yet to happen. Okay? I'm going I'm to throw you a little nugget. We call Revelation a lot of times end time prophecy. Well, take the word end time right off of it because it's not just about end time. But now understand the word prophecy is not just about the future. The timing of prophecy is truly immaterial to the fact that it could or could not be a prophecy. It is the word of God and it could be about the past, the present, or the future and still be prophecy. I could tell you that when you were seven years old and you stubbed your toe on a baseball bat, God was trying to get your attention and that's prophecy. Not, oh, you got to wait till this and that. The, the timing of it and whether or not it's based on past, present, or future does not determine whether it's prophecy or not. Now, the whole book of Revelation is prophecy, and it's talking about some past, some present, and some future. The majority of it is future, so we just tend to think, well, it's all about the future. No, it's not. Now, in this particular passage, remember... John tells us he saw a vision at the beginning of Revelation. And then in the, vi in the vision, the Lord showed up to him and said, write what you see. That literally happened some, my math's bad, 1900 years ago, give or take a century or two. That, that literally happened. There was a man asleep on an island and he had this vision and the Lord showed up to him in the vision and he said son of man write what thou seest if you're still with me say amen so part of what he saw and what he wrote is what I want you to see right here this particular portion of his vision that he's sharing right here I would say it's similar to a synopsis of our time. It's got some past, some present, some future. It's got some names changed. It's got some details changed, some characters changed. But 
the story is our story. It's the story of God, humanity, and the devil. And there was, everybody say there was. He's writing in his vision. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels, now hang on. This is John's vision that he saw. Understand. In my vision, there was war in heaven. I'm not telling you about an actual day right now in this vision, but there are parallels that are similar. Somewhere in time, maybe not our time, but somewhere in time, there are parallels similar to this. In my vision, there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. I'm telling you, you see, nowhere in, in, in Genesis does it ever say something about a dragon, you know, that was in heaven. And no, we're talking about John's vision that the Lord gave him in this vision. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels. Verse eight and prevailed not the dragon and his angels prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven and the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. That's the vision I saw. The war, the dragon losing and cast out. And I know who it was that was cast out. The devil. Satan. That old serpent. The dragon. How many things do you need to know who we're talking about? Isaiah called him Lucifer. It's the same thing. In my vision, he fought, he lost, he was cast out. Cast out where? It says it right there, right in the middle. He was cast out into the earth in this vision that I had. Not just him, him and his angels. They were cast out together. Now, also a part of my vision when this happened, verse 10, I heard something around the time that this happened. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now, everybody say now, now is come salvation and strength. Come where? To heaven because we got rid of the devil? No. We don't need saved. We're already in heaven. Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Which accused them before our God day and night. I told you there's there's parallels in this vision that John had to reality. Our, our world, our spiritual reality, which includes this time outside of our human time. Somewhere in the past, I don't even want to use that word because it's not like in our past, but somewhere, sometime, someplace, that old serpent, the dragon, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, got it in his head that I can take on Michael. And I've got a host with me. And we're going to fight him. He did that and he lost. And as a part of his punishment, he was cast out of that place to the earth. Now, I, just please let me show you this quickly while we're on this verse. Now is come salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. In John's vision, he didn't see 
God and, and the Creator and the Father doing something. And then, oh, at another point in time over here, this thing called Christ, this guy called Christ, this idea called Christ. No, in the, in the details and the events that transpired, once the devil was kicked out of heaven to earth, now the kingdom of God and his Christ has come and salvation. I'm trying to show you that what I had seen for so many years in Acts 2.38 and then trying to understand who Jesus is is not just about a man born in Bethlehem. It's not just about a, a man at all or the role of a son at all. It's greater than that. It's greater in time than that. It's greater in magnitude than that. Verse 12. Therefore, this is still the voice that John hears in heaven when all this happens. Therefore, rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. Why? For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So, John is seeing all of this, and he's hearing the voice of the spiritually enlightened that says, Heavens, be glad you got rid of him. Earth, woe be unto you, because now he's your problem. And he's there with wrath. And he knows he's not there to stay. He's got a short time. By the way, even not just the land, but the seas. It's like they're saying, ah, I even feel bad for the fishies down there. Now they got to deal with this thing. Verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Now, I didn't read that at the beginning, but part of this vision at the beginning was I saw a woman and she had a man-child. That's why I'm telling you this is John's vision. This is not an actual account of history, right? There was never a point in time where all of these things happened on the same day. You understand? He's seeing the recap. He's seeing the synopsis. And what that woman and what that child represents is where you and I come into the picture. Because I can't go back... it was never mine or your place to go into heaven and be a part of that war. Jump down to verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Everybody say this is a recap. John is seeing right here in the middle of the book of Revelation a recap of the time of humanity. That's what's going on. That's what's been going on. That's what's going to keep going on until the end of this thing. The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, all of her children and her children's children, and all of that mankind. Those which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony 
of Jesus Christ. Would you close your eyes and pray with me where you're seated there? Father, I'm looking for you in the truth of your word. My desire, God, is to have a spiritual understanding. Like it said in Hebrews 11, an understanding through faith, Lord. This is not something that another human being can teach me until I learn it, Lord. This is a spiritual revelation. This is an enlightening, God, that I desire to have, to know you and who you are, to know the truth of your word, Lord Jesus. My desire is to know you. My desire is to fellowship with you. My desire is to put your word into action in my life. I want to make sure, O oh God, that I know who you are. I want to make sure that I see your purpose fulfilled in my life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We want to know you, God. We want to know you, God. Amen. I'm going to stop here tonight. But I am going to remind you that when you or I tell someone they need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They need to have some idea of who he is, but just as important or maybe even more importantly than that, they need to have a desire to know him more. I'm telling you what, I already said it. It's been 37 years and I... I feel like the more I know about him, the more I realize I didn't know him before. That, I don't say that to discourage. I say that to encourage. Let me talk just real quick, real quick about this human nature idea for a second. Because this is where we often find ourselves in conversation with others especially here in a church house. There are people who will come here and be among you and I. And the very first thing they might say is, I think I need to be baptized. I want to be baptized. Do you do baptisms? Can we get baptized? The answer to that is 100% yes. But I'm talking for a second about the human nature idea because human nature also would love to say, tell me what I need to do so I can feel better. I, 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 or I want to be one of you. Tell me what I need to do to be one of you. Baptized? Sure, I'll do that. No, sir, no, ma'am. You do not get baptized to be one of us. We are not who we are because we all got baptized. You hear that? And we are not who we are because we speak in tongues. I would be in, in big trouble if I said, Hey, Yakima, all you got to do to be one of us is come here and get baptized in the name of Jesus and speak in tongues. Please do that for our sake. Validate our efforts here, please. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That might be how you market a church. But that is not how you do the work of the kingdom of God. When my daughter Annabelle wanted to get baptized, she was six years old. And I'll be honest with you, as her dad, I was equal, equally thrilled and terrified. 
terrified only in the sense that I want to make sure you understand what you're saying. Because the last thing I want to do is do something without you knowing the importance of what's being done. I don't want... This was not the case. It's never been the case with any of my children. But I don't want you to come to me and say, you're ready to get baptized, so I'll stop getting you in trouble. Or so you can win an argument. Or so you can win a bet with your brother or sister. I I realize it sounds silly when I'm talking about my children, but it's the same idea of, I don't want to baptize a stranger off the street so they can feel better about sinning. Or so you can win a bet with yourself. Or so you can go home tonight and maybe sleep better. I'm not interested in helping you sleep better. I'm interested in you making it to heaven. You can stand with me. Now what I'm sharing requires us to operate through wisdom. An unction of the Holy Ghost. I don't think any of you will ever see me tell somebody, no, you can't get baptized. I don't think that's ever going to happen. So I'm letting you know right now publicly, when somebody is getting baptized in this congregation by me, it's because I believe they are ready to get baptized. If it's a parent of a child and they say, my child wants to get baptized, I don't say, woohoo, great, let's go do it right now. I say, no, parent, let's have a conversation first and make sure we know what we're doing and why. It's the same theory, same idea as when a stranger or your friend or your loved one or your coworker or your neighbor or somebody that none of us knows comes here and says, I want to get baptized. I don't say, great, woohoo, let's do it. I say, let's have a conversation. Let's make sure, because I, I don't want you to just get in the water and have the words, the name of Jesus Christ spoken out loud and you come up out of the water like, I don't know who that guy is, Jesus Christ, but I did what the church told me to do. Now, one more bit of information. If that was the case, that does not mean you got to get rebaptized now that you know who he is. You understand? I, already, I said this at the beginning. It's like this progressive walk and progressive revelation and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. I do know more now than I did when I got baptized at age six. Thank the Lord for that. But every time he reveals a little bit more to me, I don't say, oh, maybe I need to get baptized again because I didn't know that when I got baptized. No, through faith. Through faith, I understand that the work of baptism has covered my sins. Baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful that we get to have our sins remitted. We're thankful that we get to have your blood applied to our lives. God, I'm thankful that you went through all of this that we're talking about and learning about tonight to purchase our salvation. I'm thankful for it, God. I am forever thankful for it. Jesus, I claim it in my own life. I claim it, Lord, for each person yet to be baptized. I claim it in the name of Jesus. Father, in your name. Father, in your name, let it be done according to your will. Let it be done according to your purpose, Father. We want to see your kingdom come, Lord. We want to see your kingdom come in the name of Jesus. I pray the revelation of who you are, Lord Jesus. I pray the spiritual understanding, those eyes of the Spirit, let them be opened, O God, to know you, to know you and who you are, Jesus.
Let us become, Lord, more and more aware of who you are. I pray it. I pray it in the name of Jesus. I pray it in the name of Jesus. I, I sincerely hope that this message has not discouraged or scared anyone away from the idea of yourself or someone else you know being ready to be baptized. I am just sharing the importance of Jesus. Jesus' name. It's critical. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.